When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply controversial anymore but jordan peterson says something that i think is very interesting which is that most people if if we if i if you if most of us were born into nazi germany Mm. they would be nazis all right here we are what a week man hey (laughs) what's going on man Anything, anything exciting happening in your life? I evacuated my home. Uh, yeah. So let's, I, I just want to set this up. I think that this is going to be a heavier discussion in light of events that have happened. We're going to start by telling you our personal experience because we live in a, in a hot spot. Mm-hmm. And then we could talk about the meta issues that are going on in America and the world right now. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, sure. So yeah, my experience so far, and I, I will preface by saying I think most of the people protesting are peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I actually think the people that were in our area weren't particularly concerned with the protests at all. Yeah, I think it was an opportunistic thing. But my experience was uh, the neighborhood, every restaurant around us was broken into, and mm-hmm. the money was stolen. Uh, the stores, the jewelry stores, the clothing stores, broken into, and then uh, fires were started. Yeah. So I, I uh, fled yeah <laughs> i fled my apartment amidst fire trucks and there weren't police here which was uh i know that most people would be happy about that but i was scared yeah yeah yeah, yeah. as you know there was a crowd of 30 people looting basically out front of my door more than 30 men such that i more than 30 no, i'm saying out literally yeah, 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 when yeah. You, like i couldn't walk out my door without seeing 30 looters yeah yeah which made me scared to leave my door yeah so i drove out the back instead yeah. um it was crazy. It's the first time in my life that I wish I had a gun. Dude, I was, it was... I, was, uh, I was truly scared that once someone unlocked our front door to leave, mm-hmm. that was it for our building. Yeah. You know? so and then obviously the fires started and I was like, oh, they yeah. don't even have to do that. This might yeah. be for our building. So if you guys watched the footage of LA, you saw where I live. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to dox myself further than that. But uh, you had a direct view of where I live because it was, it wasn't near it. It was it mm-hmm. where this stuff happened. Um... I didn't realize it to this morning. I finally had, because I slept out for a night and then I spent the whole day. Like, it was not, I didn't feel safe coming back. Right now we have National Guard mm-hmm. at the end. It's it's more empty than coronavirus right now. Yeah. Um, thank God. I'm, I'm happy that it's empty. But I didn't recognize till this morning when I sat down, took deep breaths and did a meditation how terrified I was. Mm-hmm. I had repressed how fucking scared yeah. I was. Oh, I can sense it in you. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, man. It was the first time in my life, because I hate them, that I wanted a gun. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, I was like, I called you. I was like, do you want to come down here with a fucking like butter knife and st- <laughs> and like wait at the door yeah, yeah. for people to come in? Because I didn't even know how we were going to get out. But luckily, everything turned out fine. Our apartments were not looted. We are safe. We are sound. I had a chance to decompress. I realized how uh, scared that experience had made me and how, you know, in the in the moment for one, you have to just function but also like i'm not proud to be scared (laughs) you know that was the other emotional insight that i had of this like i i got away and then i turned on the news and it was um i i I think that a lot of people are struggling because we we spoke to justin who's our producer and he was at one of the protests and i asked him what was your experience and he said i think that the news uh over blew it i think that the media is biased i think that they were showing and correct me if, if, if any of this isn't like that they were making it out to be more violent than it was is that a fair summary of of what you felt yeah, just from uh, my anecdotal experience. Yeah, yep, hundred percent. Which were not invalidated. No, no. Yeah. And that, your experience was, it was peaceful, and the news is making it look bad. Yeah. yeah. My experience when people were posting peaceful stuff was, that's not what it looked like at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, when you came back to the apartment the next day, there was shattered glass and trash everywhere. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I um, saw the Santa yeah. Monica footage, and it looked. So without without too much of our, it, I think one of the things that's going on is people have one. If you live here, you have very different experiences. You were a few miles away from me with a yeah. completely different experience. You could have been a few blocks away from me with a completely different experience. Can I hop in? Yeah. I, and I actually think nobody is capable of having an unbiased opinion, whether you live here in a yeah, dangerous yeah. area, here in a peaceful area, or you're in a place with none of this watching the news. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything where someone tried to truly track percentage of yeah, the yeah, city, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. percentage of the city that had peaceful protests, percentage of the city that was violently burned you know like uh none of us know none of us really know and none of us know how many people were hurt by police none of us know how many people were hurt by looters or rioters or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call them so we're all going off of a complete lack of information from either our own experience or what we mm-hmm. see in the news. And so something that I felt, and I've, um, I've since disentangled, and literally we spoke, we've never done this, we spoke for about an hour and a half prior, so I was like, Justin, I need to talk to someone who wasn't here, because mm-hmm. you had the same firsthand experience. What I've just started to disentangle is that when I got out of here, I, I mean, we evacuated. <laughs> you know, oh, I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to say that, Dude, like, I, drove, I don't want to over or undersell days. this. I got out of here, I yeah. got on the highway, and was just like, when I got to a TV and I heard them say largely peaceful protest, I was like, fucking turn this channel. I was so fearful and angry and I wanted confirmation hmm. of my experience, which maybe wasn't representative. I don't know, but I wasn't interested in representative explanations. And I think what happens is based on either personal experience or whatever political party you have, uh, you are looking for confirmation mm-hmm. in these sort of things, things that validate your experience. And I know that I felt, I was like, fuck you. My neighborhood doesn't exist. There's nothing that is open today. The food market was ransacked. I can't get food, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's, and, I, and to be clear, I'm so lucky. Everything Thanks is wonderful. Corona, though, I have a lot of soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a ton so. of soup. And I, and I don't mean this as a complaint at all, because I, even throughout all this, I'm like, I'm so fortunate. Like I have a place to yeah, go. Yeah. I had a bed to sleep in. Um, it was great, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I've, I'm super fucking lucky for a hundred different reasons. But I see how this division happens. And then I see how your own internal psychology it makes draws you, you towards what you want dude, to see. I did not want to hear the other side. I needed at least 24 to 48 hours mm-hmm. before I could take a breath and be like, okay, let's assume that these people aren't awful. Uh, and explore further. So I think that that's a dynamic that is at play across the board, and I felt it firsthand. For sure. 
Yeah, I, see, I mean, I see it on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Depending where you go on Reddit, you can find a ton of people. You, literally, you can find female store owners being beaten with two by fours. Yep. You can find police who are unprompted firing off tear gas. Mm -hmm. And it's literally just what subreddit are you voluntarily going to go to. Yep. That's absolutely going to be what you see. And mm -hmm. then that's going to inform your belief. Yeah, so... There's a hundred different angles to talk about this. I want to talk about the emotional angle of what we uh, what happened on a scale. I want to talk about um, the legal and racial angle. I want to talk about the uh, macroeconomic <laughs> geopolitical mm -hmm. angle. I think these are all really interesting. But which let's start let's start close to to the ground level. Sure. I think. Do you want to do emotions or like legal first? I don't. I mean, I don't have much more emotional. To okay. Share. So, no. So well, I mean, emotion. The collective emotions. What was oh. happening? out there let's start with legal here um, or in la let's start with legal okay. <laughs> i think this is easier i said i called up my buddy because i wanted different opinions who was a uh because um, i was upset and i called up my buddy who is a lawyer and he works i don't know what it's called but he takes cases that are traditionally uh, like underprivileged communities who got kind of railroaded in yeah. the legal system and in, tries to get a, them off an appeal court an appeal court an appeal court yeah. so so federal and, appeals so when somebody is convicted mm -hmm. loses their trial the appeal will go to him and his job is to see if he can help the person to be exonerated yeah. from their crime. And so his firsthand experience is a lot of, uh, just a lot of horror stories of like, oh my God, how did you get this 25 year sentence for like being near a crime? You mm -hmm. know, like that kind of stuff. And I asked him, I was like, tell me what's going on. He says, a lot of the people are black or Latin. Like so many of them are, almost all. I said, uh, what is the determinant factor? in the outcomes that people get. And he took a f the longest pause of anyone else said. He said, economics. He said, every single, I mean, I've, I've worked with, with white people, I've worked with Latin people, I've worked with black people, but every single to a T person I've worked with is poor. Uh, they, were, they did not have quality legal representation. They got the book thrown at them and an example made of them. And sometimes we can get them off, but it, appeals are really hard. Um, because you have to, it's not just like beyond a reasonable doubt. It's like you have to have a preponderance or whatever of evidence. So uh, I, I spoke to him about that, and then I tried to understand what happened here. And I think that there's obviously, I mean, Black Lives Matter is in the street. There's a racial thing going on. George Floyd died. That obviously kicked it off. But when I zoom out and I go, why today? Is it because this is the first time that we have footage of a white police officer killing a black man? It's not. Right. This happened in New York with the guy who was selling Lucy's. And while there were protests and there might have been some it, this is all over America. Mm -hmm. So I go, OK, why today? And I think the best answer for why today is that it's a similar to like why World War One started, which is, yes, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. But there was all of this stuff that was ready to burst. And I think that is the more uh, long term impactful story of what's going to happen. And as I look at this, we've had coronavirus shutting everyone down economics have gotten even worse we've had a rise in inequality over the last 50 years you've got uh these mounting stories of police brutality and a, and a widening gap between what is perceived as the apparatus that protects the elites who are not all white but maybe mm -hmm. predominantly white and the apparatus that holds down the proletariat you know which are various colors but are predominantly colored mm -hmm. uh and I think that all of that set the stage such that when there was a spark, it was like the brush fire just exploded. Yeah. Well, also, my in my <clears throat> opinion, the protesters and the looters or rioters, 
don't necessarily have a lot of overlap either. Mm -hmm. Like there were people who were caught and arrested for looting. And when they asked them, why are you doing this? You know, what, what cause are you trying to promote? At least those people will say, oh, it was mostly just to get money. Mm -hmm. And I think the people who are protesting probably aren't doing it by breaking into stores and stealing stuff. They're doing it by going out with signs and getting in front of police or getting in front of government buildings. Yeah. So I don't even think it's necessarily the same groups. Groups. So I think question, it's just a yeah. group of people who feel socially, or not socially, economically, uh, that it's not fair, that the system's not fair, that they yeah. have less than they should. And this is an opportunity for them to go and mm -hmm. equalize that. You know and, the, I mean? and the question, which I think the answer which we discovered, or if you disagree, let us know in the comments, why so many of them now? Like, if this had happened in Sweden, the a huge portion of the population has too much to lose to go in and smash into a Nike store and take some stuff to try to resell it. It's just mm -hmm. not worthwhile. Why does the calculus work out in the favor of, yeah, this is a worthwhile thing to do for so many people? Um, I think that these are the, this is the brush that has been laid for a long period of time. So do you want to, I think, do you want to talk emotions or macro at this point? Because I wrote a little bit about emotions. The emotions of the people here? So I think the, the sort of the, the, what you can expect in terms of, will there be a backlash? Was this effective? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Well, I didn't, I mean, there was no chanting in our area. Like I, I really, at the risk of repeating myself, like people were not. In our area, it was looting. People were not yeah. protesting. So the emotion here, it might've been anger, but it didn't, it wasn't pointed at the police or the government. It was pointed at the world you know what i mean it was it, yeah. the, the the victims were the businesses around most of which aren't big corporations by the way like it's it was a lot mm -hmm. of just regular businesses so in mm -hmm. terms of the emotions of the people who were doing the looting i think there is anger there but i don't i think the people that were more focused on george floyd were at the Different various yeah. black like Mat black life matters organized rallies of which mm -hmm. there were multiple for you to yeah. go to if that was your particular issue of choice mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and i don't think it's i don't think it's fair to blame those people for the, what the looters were doing but i also don't think it's fair to excuse what the looters did by saying that that's their cause mm -hmm. you know what i mean so the emotion here i don't know there was opportunism there was a lot opportunism yeah. and so the anger was directed in a number of directions right it was directed towards and there was some opportunism toward the storefronts right you know mm -hmm. there was this sense of like I'm angry, and I and I saw some interviews, which I which I don't know if they were true, but a sense that it's not fair that this rich owner, and of course that's not true of many of the stores that got smashed, but that this rich person has so much. Mm -hmm. There's anger at the police force for it's not true that this police force has gone on with impunity. Um, and one thing that my friend Paul said, which I think makes a ton of sense to me, is that if you ever have a group of people that have more power than another and limited accountability to them. Meaning he's like, one of the most fucked up things is when you file a complaint with the police force, it goes to the police force yeah, <laughs> nine yeah. times out of 10. It's like, you can't, like, that's not that's not gonna be effective. You need to have more, and there is some, but you need to have more independent review of these kinds of complaints. I think one of the most easy things, and it's, I'm sad that they're asking for defunding of the police force, because what I think they need is every officer needs a 24 hour body cam, mm -hmm. and if, that body cam footage is for any reason in any matter of uh, review not available didn't work that precinct should lose so much freaking money <laughs> you know it's mm -hmm. such that they are incentivized to make sure even at the expense of their own that 
the body cam footage is there and can be reviewed. I think mm -hmm. that would be a massive uh, ability to have accountability and and better outcomes in in the justice system. Yeah, to have a huge penalty if body cam footage is available penalty. to the public. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of the emotion, yeah, I think I think there's a couple things that are happening right now. So you've you've seen this this outpouring of frustration and anger. And what I've seen in, in my circle is more people than I knew or thought cared all of a sudden caring. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to a lot of them. And, and so you, you said, you're like, I've been to a lot of protests, which is actually a, a rare thing. The people that I spoke to, this is their first protest. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. They didn't really care. They weren't part of the uh, thing. And I asked, and as I dug into it, what I saw was, uh, and I, this is the problem, I think, very little understanding and a lot of compliance for various reasons. So I spoke uh, secondhand to one person who shared the blackout photo, who had, doesn't post on Instagram, doesn't participate in these things. And after multiple, again, secondhand, because this is a friend of someone's, I was like, ask them this, ask them this, ask them this. They were sending back what they had said. Uh, what it got down to was I felt social pressure to do it. And so you were getting a show of support that lacks understanding. Mm. I saw, and I know someone who showed up to a protest, and I just know this individual, does not care. Uh, at all this individual will say that they care but this individual in their own life has uh, so many ethical lapses <laughs> you know what i mean so many things that if they care to do the right thing mm. it's like it's to the people that you're cheating in your own life is who you would fix yeah, yeah. things with this is uh you know who i'm talking yeah. about <laughs> enough said it's my first instinct yeah it's okay. your first instinct um that they went to a protest and they instagrammed it Again, I think you're getting compliance without understanding. And as I walked the streets of Santa Monica and I saw all the boarded up things, again, I think that there's uh, an anger and I felt it, a frustration and a rage. Like my neighborhood just got smashed. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not trying to win any Olympics and say this is worse than anybody else's life, but I promise you that creates anger in people. And it is not, you're not seeing a ton of it, at least on my social media. And so unfortunately, I'm not saying that these have been... Uh, a bad idea to protest but there's going to be a back and a forth and mm -hmm. i think the only answer is not to beat the other side into submission it is understanding so the best videos that i saw when i was like how does this get fixed were when people marched to the police station held hands and cried like the the understanding i think is the only way that it happens and when i hear people say things like fuck the police uh you know fuck 12 it's it's written all over our neighborhood and every graffiti everywhere it is the same group of you're all the same that that is being resisted. And it's a natural instinct when you feel harmed to harm in the same exact mm -hmm. way that you've been harmed. And what is so difficult to do is to, I think, start by understanding the way that you feel upset yeah, yeah. and then try to go feel someone else's. It's also not most people, <clears throat> just, to, just to make that clear. Though. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think most humans on all sides of the political spectrum would agree that most police are trying to do a good job and most of the protesters were nonviolent. You know what I mean? So I don't think that the majority of any group is so can lashing I, out violently. Can I offer a, a something that I felt? Sure. So we have uh, we have multiple personalities, all of us, right? We have the way we are with the friends or family or this, and we have a th roughly three-part brain. We have the neocortex, we have the this, and we have the limbic brain. I think what you're getting is a lot of politeness from people right now. And people will say, oh, no, I get it. The police aren't bad. Or I get it. Black people aren't bad. Or I get it. You know, this group of people isn't bad. 
I think that is a social mask and we have been conditioned and learned in the same way that we've you know you can't say these words in the same way that you tell a child say you're sorry or mm. say thank you and what you are not doing with that child is creating actual contrition or understanding or gratitude what you have gotten is a lot of socially convenient phrases mm. but if people sat down and i felt it man i sat down in my bed i i cried for a while and then i felt furious and i cried like you people are fucking angry man and they're angry in an unjustified irrational way because that's how emotions arise now when we feel these this is emotional mastery by the way this is <laughs> a little <laughs> plug when we feel these unjustified emotions but we know that they're not justified what we do before we speak them we wrap them we in this nuanced them. i know it's not all police officers but what we feel is a murderous rage towards everyone on the other side that is human the way to deal with it is not to be polite. The way to deal with it is to feel it, one yourself, and then dialogue and express and then hold hands and cry and rage at one another without punching each other, you know? And I don't think that, I don't know how much that happened. The, to the degree to which understanding at a genuine level occurred is the degree to which we will begin to heal. Mm. And to the degree to which negative angry generalized stereotypical feelings got repressed they will explode because mm -hmm. this was the repression of frustration and anger and it doesn't matter if anger is justified or not it's it's literally immaterial because it will find its way to explode in your personal life or on a community scale does that mm -hmm. do you does that make sense or do you agree or disagree yeah i don't have anything to add to that cool so it's been fucking crazy <laughs> Um, and yeah, so I, I'm very curious to see how much genuine understanding has occurred. I watched a lot of, lot of, uh, and again, I got, I was so angry for so long when I, when I drove out the second day. So I came back, I got my stuff in the middle, like 5am the next day I got my stuff. I didn't know if there's going to be more riots. Um, got some stuff, took a quick nap cause I hadn't slept and drove out again midday. And there were so many people coming in. They were clearly were not there protesting. They had their phones out and they were taking images like, uh, Instagram porn. You know, mm -hmm. and you saw that one, that one LA woman asking, "Can I drill your thing?" And I was fucking angry at them. I was so livid at everyone yeah, trying to get the social media for trying clout to, for at trying to get clout. Yes, the damage. And so the answer for me is, I still and I haven't processed it all. I got to sit down and process all that because I'm f I'm fucking livid. Yeah. You know, um, and so I tried to get as much as I could before the podcast, but I recognize <laughs> that I still have a tremendous amount of frustration inside of me. Um, but let's zoom out. And then talk about this, what this means at a macro level. Now, what I said to you, and certainly some of it is driven by rationality, and a lot of it's driven by an emotional reaction, is that I want to move. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm getting out of here. I think that this, uh, that this is the beginning of a 75-year debt cycle end. So I don't want to talk the whole time. Let's let's ping pong on this. I've explained this to you. Do you want to start by doing it just so I'm not dominating? No, no, dominate away. You sure? Yeah. Okay. So I read Ray Dalio. And he's been talking about the debt cycle for his entire fucking career, right? Mm -hmm. And essentially, the debt cycle looks like this. Every uh, five to 10 years, there's a short-term bubble. And you saw this with the dot-com bubble, the financial bubble. You go back in 88 and whatever year, five to 10 years, we get over leverage, we spend too much money, and it explodes. And we all experience that. And the answer is buy low, <laughs> you know, sell high. And for our whole lives, that's the answer. Don't panic in the bubble. That's the short-term cycle. But there's yeah, also- so examples of that would be the dot-com bubble, 
the yeah. 2008 crash. So if you bought in 2008, you made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, the answer is like, just trust. It just, we're gonna get through it. Don't over panic. Mm -hmm. There's also a long-term death cycle that occurs over 75 or 80 years. And that, it does not take one or two or three years to repair. That takes 10 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it essentially occurs when a society has borrowed so much financially, education-wise, socially against its own future that it can no longer sustain living on credit. And the last time the debt cycle exploded in the U.S., the long-term one, was 1930. Yeah, the Great Depression. The Great Depression. What was the one before that? <laughs> uh, it was the Civil War. Got it. So, and then before that, I think it was uh, like the Revolutionary or 18, 1790 or something like that. Um, but Ray Dalio goes back through all of, I mean, it's fascinating. He goes back through to various empires. You can read him, type in Ray Dalio, LinkedIn Pulse. He's got a whole series. Um, he goes back to the Dutch and the blanks and the this and the that. And he, I think, makes a great argument that these debt cycles come in predictable cycles. They have predictable things and they have predictable outcomes. The problem is that when people try to identify patterns in their own life, they only can are capable of using the span of their own life. So I can only look back 32 years. My dad can only look back 62 years. Neither of us was alive for the last Great Depression. Mm -hmm. The other problem is, and this is from a book, The Fourth Turning, is that we are reactions to the world in which we grew up in and our parents. So the people who survived the last death cycle were my grandpa. He was born, he was eight years old in the Great Depression. He sold shoes. I mean, he was a, a G. Then he fought in World War II. <laughs> right survived the battle of the bulge didn't talk to it didn't say anything to anybody for the rest of his life nobody knows why he has these german guns he's just <laughs> like yeah, yeah. that's who dude nobody knows anything about my grandpa he has this medal of valor for the battle of the bulge he never discussed it with anyone so yeah. that was the greatest generation right hardened, and I, a hardened man and i don't mean that facetiously like that that was the time and he died with over with living a normal life and having 10 kids, he died with over a million dollars in the bank. Yeah. He pinched pennies, he saved, he cut coupons, and how could he, and he never adjusted to the world that wasn't the Great Depression, yeah. <laughs> right? He was waiting for the next Great Depression. Exactly. Which he thought would happen at any moment. Exactly, so his kids, that were actually spanned over two generations because he had so many, but are predominantly boomers, grew up in a very different world. Mm -hmm. They felt differently about savings and this and that. Some of them became hippies because, you know, fuck the system. We don't need. And my grandpa couldn't understand why his sons didn't want to go fight in Vietnam. <laughs> he was like, "War, this is your war. Wars are great. You're going to go save the world. It's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, so they didn't understand each other. And then they had kids. And what happens is approximately every 20 years is a new generation. But by the fourth generation, you have had one generation who laid the foundations for a society that was stable, prosperous, growing, but also, you know, emotionally stunted. <laughs> and these other generations bring and add things, but one of the things that they don't bring is financial stability. We, and everyone I know, uh, plans on tomorrow being better than today, mm -hmm. procrastinates, puts off, thinks that their individual existence is more important than the collective. Well, also, I mean, as much as people will try to laud hustle culture in the entrepreneur community, there's not as much grinding versus if you grew up in the great depression and then you got a job and your job was cut metal mm -hmm. you're like i will cut metal 14 hours a day yeah. every day that you will pay me mm -hmm. because i remember when food was hard yeah versus people today they don't want to do that they want to work remote they want to work lifestyle we're the exact same way right you don't you, you could not have sold get rich quick products to my grandpa yeah you don't you don't have this <laughs> it wouldn't work this, and there i'm sure there are certainly people who will grind and there definitely are people who do hard manual labor but on the whole, I'd say through the generation is a much smaller percent of the population who will just work incredibly hard and be grateful for yeah. 
their incredibly difficult job relative and, to. And so what you see as Ray Dalio maps out is you see as the as an empire solidifies and rises in power, it's almost like working out, which is the day that you're at peak physical condition isn't the day that you put in the work. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's days, months, weeks after. Yeah. So like the work to build a stable society is investing heavily in education, working incredibly hard, social cohesion, that is, you know, you see China as, is often at the expense of individual expression. And then you get that. You get that powerful status, and then you get a number of benefits. You get military. You can go and start invading other countries, and I don't mean this moralistically, but the benefit financially is you can just take their stuff. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't do it, but that's what happens. Uh, you get to have the world reserve currency, which means you're going to take dollars, and you're going to have to pay us back for World War II in dollars. And by the way, we print the dollars, so, you know, that's a tremendous financial uh, thing, but you get that after you've earned it. And then what happens is when you live this life and you're born into this world, you just don't, you don't keep earning it. So mm -hmm. essentially what I'm saying is that and you don't feel like you have to, because you you, everything's, because everything always worked out, mm -hmm. you know, and you didn't have to go fight in Vietnam and we're done with the draft. We're not going to do any more drafts that was done in Vietnam, you know? Uh, so all this to say, there's these 80 year cycles that roughly match the generations and match this temperament of saving and spending, like building for the future and enjoying today. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, not to pass any judgment on any one of those errors because all are necessary towards the cyclical growth, but I believe that we have come to the end of a cycle. Mm -hmm. I believe that 2020, and quite frankly, these, you could argue that it happened as early as 2008 and then was extended with this fiscal quantitative easing. We are at the end of a long-term debt cycle. This is Ray Dalio, I'm, I'm just parroting him, but we are in for 10 to 20 years of restructuring. Well, and according to Ray Dalio, the the signs that that is occurring are large and increasing wealth inequality. Oh, and he, he charts this. Right? If you look, and this, I don't think I need to preach to you guys. Wealth inequality has been getting more and more extreme. So large wealth inequality, more, uh, sorry, productivity, what you generate as a country being less than your debt, which is true of America today. Productivity right? being less than your debt. I'm confused. Say that again. Like your country is is lending out, or sorry, is borrowing more money yeah. than it's producing. Sure, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You're you're not creating with GDP as much as you are either printing or borrowing. And right? in your own life, this is to say, I'll pay back tomorrow. You know, I give give me what I want today. A negative savings rate. Yeah, yeah. I'll 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 do the work tomorrow. I'll study tomorrow. You can have debt in a hundred different yeah. ways. And then a natural disaster. Yeah, pandemics, which, natural disasters, wars, which by the way become more and more likely, and and get handled worse and worse as there's less to go around, the social structure breaks yeah. down. And because when you have spent everything on credit, and you can think of this in your own life, once you're deep into credit card debt, and then you get a bill for your car, you can't really handle that. And then that spirals. Yeah. So he Which is- I, And I'm not saying any of this is true necessarily, but this is what Ray Dalio says, is when you see those three things at the same <clears> time, your country's in trouble. Yeah. And we have all three in, at the same time. And I think, I agree, and I'm not here to persuade. Well, I kind of am. I'm, I'm here to have the discussion about it, and I would love for someone to talk me out of it too. Sorry for my voice cracking so many times today. <laughs> uh, that this is happening now or has been starting, and what we are in store for, and this is part of the reason that I don't know if I want to live here, is that it, we're in for more, and it's not, even if, even if every demand is met from the Black Lives Matter group and there's uh, massive reform of the police structure, et cetera, I don't think that stops the economic frustrations that that blade all a lot of the brush for what went up. Uh, because inequality, I mean, this is the thing people are like, Jeff Bezos has all the money. Well, all the small businesses in America 
just didn't show up for two months, and then many of them in, in downtown areas were destroyed and had all their inventory taken. So what you're going to see is the collapse, if it hasn't already happened, of small businesses. Mm -hmm. And there will be a few more loans. Again, we're running on credit in so many ways, and I don't mean to be doom and gloom, and I, I, I'm not doom and gloom. I'm not saying the world's going to end. Uh, but Jeff Bezos, you know how much money he made off of these riots? Yeah. Like a protest, riots, looting, call it whatever you want. I have to go to Amazon. <laughs> I can't walk down the street yeah, yeah. and purchase anything. Uh, he just made so much money. So guess what? Wealth inequality, which used to be more distributed amongst the small businesses, it's it that just all went all the way up the chain. So you have more people joining this this uh, despondent, frustrated class, and a handful of people that are just with an insane amount of money. Now I'm not saying that that's Jeff Bezos's fault, uh, but it is the way that things ha are headed. Mm -hmm. So. I think that that frustration is going to boil over. You're going to see civil unrest. You're going to see an argumentation about what to do with dwindling funds. And the other thing that complicates this is that these debt cycles can occur at the beginning and the end of an empire. And they have different effects when it's in the middle of an empire versus the end of an empire. Uh, by all, you guys have known this since you've been growing up. By every metric, since you've been a little kid, you've been told China's, you know, U.S. is big, China's fast growing, the U.S. is big, China's fast growing. Uh, in terms of power, you might have also felt with politics that you've been hearing a lot more about how aggressive and bad China is. Without passing judgment on China, what that is most indicative of is that they are becoming more and more of an obvious rival and needs to be positioned as such yeah. and the reason to you, the American public. The reason public. you say that is because, for instance, you're not hearing a lot about the tragedies that happen in other countries. Congo has been at war forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like There are awful things. Yeah, well, which like, is not to minimize that there are potentially very terrible things happening in China. It's just to say that you hear about it so much relative yeah. to... If you were alive in the 60s, Russia, 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 you know, like... Yeah, because what is the, what's the deal with the Congo and Rwanda? It's, it's like the worst it's, loss so of lives. It's the most loss of lives since World War II. And again, it, if you ever... It's impossible to say when the war started and ended because these conflicts are always happening. Mm -hmm. But if you were to take the full 25 years or so that it's been going on, it's insane, but they normally take six at a time. They take the first Congolese war or the yeah. second Congolese war. But and it's, you just generally don't hear rhetoric about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear anything about it because it's they're not a rival, and we don't need to, to demonize them, and we're not interested in, uh, from an empire perspective, taking from that area right mm -hmm. now. Um, again, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to describe things as they are without even commenting on the morality of them. Obviously, I don't think that that's a, a great thing that we just— don't care of the suffering of people in places that aren't geopolitically interesting. But so I think uh, what Ray Dalio shows is that China, by every metric, and you, I don't need to say them all, but they have uh, invested heavily in education. They have a very cohesive social unit, and you can complain that it's authoritarian, but it's going to help them to stamp out this pandemic very quickly. It's going to help them to organize production very quickly. Might not be great on the ground level. Might not be great Might to be not an individual be fun there. Be, and I'm not yeah. saying it's bad, by mm -hmm. the way, but I'm just saying that, that the, the fact this is good for their empire is agnostic to if it's good for individuals. Sure. So what, you're go what happens is that China is like the guy at the gym who is putting in all the work but isn't quite as strong as the other guy. Yeah. And America is like the guy that has been the tough guy for a long time and is like he just eating. got a boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> and now he's eating ice cream. He's not working out as hard. He's not working out as hard. And and you go, well, I'm bigger than you still. Yes, but not forever, and not with this behavior. And this behavior is not going to turn around because it's built into the generations. In this, and one of the interesting things that I was, I've kind of added to this. So if it doesn't make sense, this is not Ray Dalio's fault. Is that you see a mix of generations depending upon when people emigrated to America. 
So in the first generation immigrants from almost all over the planet, what you see is that ethos that my grandpa had, which is like, I'm going to bust my butt. I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to save. I'm going to like my life is to improve the quality of life for my children. I'm going to make sure that they understand that education is mm -hmm. the way and they don't mess around. And you see that from em immigrants all over the world coming to America. So there are these different generations. But if you've lived in America or you have a genealogy since the since the whatever Great Depression, it's likely that your your family has followed this pattern because this has been the dominant pattern mm -hmm. of American culture. And there are exceptions. Sure. It's just a comment on sure. the society as a whole. Your mom and dad might not have been hippies or you know what I mean they yeah. might have been they might have been straight lights. You might be incredibly hardworking. <laughs> yes. Which is not to say yes. that everybody alive today is not. Of course. Um, but I see myself in the descriptions. I mean I'm a YouTuber who's like burned out from one video a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. like what am I talking about? What a, what a grandpa soft, would be ashamed. So, of I got scared when people were outside my house, you know, like I'm soft. I'm so, so soft. And yeah. it's only a product of my life experience. Uh, so anyway, that I think that this is happening. The Chinese empire is rising, which means that there's going to be a smaller pie for America to divvy up. One of the other things that Ray Dalio talks about, again, no judgment on this, is that empires can add to their own uh tax pool and and resource pool by just invading other countries and the u.s has done that throughout the 50s 60s 70s they've gone everywhere and at first it was very profitable to set up united fruit in guatemala and exploit the people there and and take out this democracy and what you've seen is that these wars and this is what ray dalio says increasing wars that are just money sucks and aren't even profitable let alone the moral implications of them so iraq and afghanistan might have made some money for some of the contractors, but have been an incredible drain on the American people and population, mm -hmm. which is exactly what you would expect at the end of these empires is you just go and you try and it doesn't work. Um, so I believe that what we are going to experience, and it might have a lot of different faces and, and different groups expressing frustration and grievances, but is increased civil unrest that is driven by the end of the American empire, a mm -hmm. smaller pie to divide up amongst people who are already frustrated at what's going on the rich will demonize the poor and run from them the poor will demonize the police state and the rich and run from them and i think that that's happening now what to do yeah <laughs> do you have any yeah i have a question <laughs> yeah what could convince you that ray dalio was incorrect what evidence would make you feel like this was not the next great depression well so I have always been someone who said we don't live in special times mm -hmm. in the sense of like, look, this year is just like last year in, in all the ways. And so I, I do feel like I've been pretty careful on this one. So it's going to take a lot of evidence because I'm not I'm just saying this is the most unique year in the last 75. Not that it's never happened before. Mm -hmm. But what evidence could convince me if someone did an analysis of Ray Dalio's thing it was like actually he's wrong here he's wrong you know just like pointed to flaws in this and actually china hasn't done this and actually the u.s hasn't done this and the debt in these countries isn't bad but it's everything that i'm reading i was looking at good places to go uh, tax revenues are down money isn't there uh and the other thing is it would be very tough to fight my anecdotal experience of the people i know and the way they live because they live on credit so what let's say like for instance i don't think this is even possible but bernie somehow Biden steps down, Bernie wins, mm -hmm. Bernie becomes president, and Bernie forcibly closes the wealth gap. Would that you, make you feel? No, because I think that it's a general, I think that actually, I think that Ray Dalio has a second order effect, which is the credit thing. And I actually think this book, The Fourth Turning, has the first order effect, which is the generational thing. I think what causes patterns of spending and using credit is life experience. 
And I think the problem is that so many people have a life experience that you can just, tomorrow will be better, I don't need to work for it. Mm -hmm. And so what could change the culture of America to be, if, if the culture of America could somehow change to work harder today for a better tomorrow on the whole, to have austerity measures to, in order to improve the life of your family and your community in mm -hmm. the future, then, then I, my mind could be changed. I don't know if that has ever happened, if a leader has been able to galvanize and change a culture, like pivot it so hard, but that, that would change my mind. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I was like, oh my God, I mean, I, you know, I know someone who uh, doesn't have, a, is not working very hard, doesn't have a ton of money, was, you know, didn't know how this, this uh, financial thing was gonna impact them, but really wanted a Peloton, really, really wanted a Peloton. And so in order to get it, took it out on installments, despite talking with me and being like, please don't do this. I know that this isn't a big deal to you, but it's it's indicative of everything that's happening in America to me. You do not need a Peloton. You should not be taking this out in installments. You have no money. You don't, you're already in credit. Yeah, yeah. And I just see that decision. And then I watched what people did with their stimulus checks just from afar. And I watched my brother who sells sunglasses online have the biggest day of sales he's ever had the day that the stimulus check hit. Mm -hmm. That stimulus check was not for hopefully buying sunglasses you know it was for like hey uh you can't work you need to buy food and these sorts of things uh i just i don't see any adjustments being made to the, mm -hmm. like the universe being like hey wake up you can't do this and and just to clarify because you said the the idea that tomorrow will be better than today i don't know it looks like there's a lot of people who maybe don't even necessarily think that yeah um based on what we're seeing with the protests and everything they think that maybe society is getting worse <clears throat> But you're saying they think that society, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, they think society is getting worse in a lot of ways. The government's worse, the police are worse, mm -hmm. but not necessarily translating that into changing their spending. So if you ask them on a survey with a lie detector, do you think that America is getting better every day or every year? They would say no. Yeah. They'd say things are worse, uh, the inequality is bad, the racism is bad, the government is bad. Mm -hmm. And you go, okay, that's good. That's a good sign for not having an economic collapse but you're saying if you looked at their spending patterns they spend as if that's not what they believe there's a disconnect yeah. almost between the pessimism they have for the society and the economic optimism in mm -hmm. terms of having a negative savings rate it's not even necessarily a disconnect it's just like well fuck it you know it could be a complete connect in that sense but their response is not my sure. grandpa's response which is i'm going to buckle down work hard I'm just saying you're not actually saying you're not actually saying that most people in America are optimistic, are optimistic no. about our government or their station in life or the political situation. You're just saying that they spend more than they save. Correct. Correct. And I think, unfortunately, that a lot of the solutions being proposed, and this isn't to say that it's never the case that someone else needs to change, but all the solutions that I'm hearing are that someone else needs to change. And I think the only answer in terms of personal life and your personal relationships and your community and your government is to is to go inside and be the change it's gandhi you, mm -hmm. like that's the only way to do it is i think martin luther king and gandhi will will stand out the test of time because of the incredible inner work that they True. did to not to to change themselves first yeah and for example they were still very very much and incredibly activists. effective Incre very, I th very much activists, yeah. but their answer to wanting more peace in the world was to be very peaceful. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. Not that they did nothing. Not that they only focused on themselves. Jesus, Gandhi, MLK, you name them. I mean, these these people are political. There's no question yeah, that they're political. But that they, they affect change by saying, 
we want less violence against us i will be and we will be less violent in the in the face of show you the way incredible temptation in the face of incredible incredible temptation justice yeah whatever it might be so when you say go inside, you don't mean go inside and ignore the world. No, 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 no. I mean, if you want... Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> if, you, if you want less violence in the world, the key is to be the type of person you wish everyone else was and then show that being nonviolent yep. when you get shoved, when you get tripped, when you get spit on yes. or whatever it might be. Um, that's being the change you want to see in the world. It's not just being in your house alone. Mm-hmm. It's not to say don't be active, but it's to say no. if you want people to be less violent, pursuing it through violence is not going to be in your mind an effective way to create change you t- yes exactly and this does not preclude protest what it means is that if you if you're protesting well, okay let protests and so of course of course of course protest what it means is if you're seeking for like what are you seeking from the opposition understanding then you must sit first and understand them and i don't mean characterize them i mean you must get them feel them like mm-hmm. walk in the shoes of that feeling in your own life so if, if, if you hate police or if you're frustrated with the police sit down meditate on what it is like to have you and 29 of your friends standing in front of 500 people screaming at you mm-hmm. and ask yourself could i see myself reaching for the mace before it was explicitly necessary because you're scared or because you're be. scared also if you're racist to think through what would it be like to have grown up in that person's shoes with their socioeconomic background in their neighborhood yeah. with what they feel because of what they look like yeah. right it's it's all sides it's, it's everybody it's, and it, and then the hardest ones are the people and this is this is the repression thing that i think is happening there's this paul our friend recommended this book white fragility to me um and it's interesting I, there's parts which i disagree with but i think one of the things that it gets right is that racism is just a mad when the way that it's used in america is as a mad way to prove that you're not like the whole goal anytime racism is brought up is not to reflect it is to escape the crosshairs of it and so what i see in people attending and i don't mean you justin um you know who i'm talking about (laughs) who have attended these rallies who have not been active but are posting uh is an attempt to escape the crosshairs and not an attempt to reflect deeply and understand their own prejudices. Because I think that one of the things that happens in everybody is we all have multiple personalities and what we repress in ourselves from our grief to our anger, to our racism, to and our racism can extend to judgment of all kinds of things. The way someone looks, the how tall they are, if they smell, if they're a guy or a girl, whatever. If we know that socially we cannot express that, so we repress it in ourselves. We just go, I'm not racist, I'm not racist, I'm not racist, or I'm not this, that. And we never look at the part of ourselves that wants to other everyone, stand above, separate based on skin color, gender, you fucking name it. Then we never confront that inside of ourselves and it drives our behavior in a hundred different ways. And we just behave in such a way that we can, and then we go, here's what we do. That's the bigot, get them, <laughs> right? Because what we have inside of ourselves is this desire to be on the winning team and we just will flip teams, <laughs> right? So that judgmental thing that could have come out as racism is now coming out as kill all the cops or you know whatever. Um, so yeah, so it's been fucking crazy. <laughs> I, so what would you advocate if people want to change? Peaceful, peaceful protests is what it sounds like. So I hate to do this because we do it on every podcast. Psychedelics. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I think the emotional mastery course that I'm creating right now, and I know that this doesn't scale, but if you're out there going, what do I do? I think is going to be excellent for this. Well, let's say. Um, but I'll, I'll give you some stuff right now if you want stuff. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, let's say, let's say that I'm someone, whatever my race is, that I think that life's been unfair to a certain group and I identify with these people's cause. Mm-hmm. 
right? So what do I do? So you sit down and you write down honestly, or you can, there's a couple things. This, this one is a little bit surface level. You write down your judgment of taking this to the cops and you free write quickly. You don't write it like it's going to be read. You don't mm-hmm. write it like you're going to have to say you're going to burn it afterwards. No, one's you burn it. it. And so you write the truth of your feelings, not the truth of your thoughts in which you know to be true, the way that you feel, which Horrendous is shit. That's absolutely wrong. Heinous. Yeah. It should look horrible. You should, you should judge it because here's the thing. You are judging it inside of yourself and you write down all cops or pigs or whatever it is that you need to write down that is an honest expression of that. And this is the work by Byron Katie. And then you take these, you can analyze these, you can read the work more. But one of the most critical things is to say, the things that I judge in the world, in other groups, are the aspects of myself, and I found this to be true every time, which I have not yet accepted. The things that trigger me and upset me in others are the pieces of myself that I can't handle, and so I see them, and they, I say, there's, there it is, there so it is. So if I say, like, this group is irrational and violent, yes. that's because I think that on some <laughs> that's level, because I of, am yep. or desire to be irrational exactly. and violent. And then you write down, how do I be, ira- how am I irrational and violent, or how do I, str- how do I want to be? And you have to be fucking honest with it. Mm. And what you will find, there's other things. There's um, parts integration things. I don't want to get, it's tough to describe, but essentially day 20 something of emotional mastery is going to be heavy into this. So you sit down, you ask yourself, I'd like to call up this part of myself. And I did this before the podcast that is uh, going to limit me in this podcast. I was like, "What's I want to see the part of myself that is going to really be difficult and make me suck on this podcast. And the first thing that came up was and then I looked to my right and you see what you see and so what I saw was like a version of myself like cringing and then you judge it you say what do I see there I see I see my fear right and then you go okay I want to be that part of myself so you take a deep breath you imagine yourself teleporting into this cringing guy or whatever it is it can be a being of any kind just to clarify yeah scared because of the judgment of the podcast scared because of what happened to us so at f- both I, I got both okay um, I did this a number of times but both came up um, scared because I would say something that would uh, bring an internet mob down on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you feel that. And when in, in the experience of feeling it, you begin to integrate it. So you're no longer repressing it. You acknowledge that you have it. I also found a fuck ton of anger when I did this. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to be angry about this because I'm privileged, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be furious that my neighborhood got smashed up. But it's not helpful for me to pretend and be polite. Yeah. What I have to do is be what I am, handle my shit, integrate it, bring it in, and then the energy can diffuse. So you do this process and you can have a dialogue with another part of yourself. I don't want to talk about it too much. Does acknowledging that you are angry about what happened in our neighborhood allow you to be less judgmental of other people who are angry because of what's been happening in their neighborhood? You nailed it. You nailed it. You cannot, if you can't feel someone else, it's because you cannot feel that part of yourself. Mm. And if you hate them, it's because you hate that part of yourself. So when you hide the fact that you're angry, mm-hmm. you have really muted your ability to empathize with somebody else who is angry. Yes. When you go into yourself, and I would never judgment, loot any. I would never hurt. And then I start separating myself from that aspect. I would never do yeah. those things. And, and when, you, I, when you go and feel your anger, even though you judge mm-hmm. it with your front brain, yeah, you go feel it, you realize you have it. Then you look at other people acting out in anger and you're able to empathize with them more, which lets you understand them more. You're Which not is, a monster. I get it. I'm you. Mm-hmm. I fucking get it. Uh, th- yeah, you, you're nailing it. You're nailing it 100%. Um, and so it's not just a, a con. This is the thing that is subtle within this process is that you can't just 
writing down I am angry is not the same as feeling I am angry. There's a third person experience of your anger, which is to look at it when you're like, oh, I see that cringing hiding self or whatever. And there's the first person experience, which is to take that breath and then be in that cringing body. And you'll feel your skin will stand up. You, You will have a completely different experience when you feel it first person versus third person. And that experience of moving from first to third person is the secret to life like to to being oh my god it's different being inside of anger than it is looking at anger Mm. and then when you can dialogue and you also bring in the other part because there's almost always an opposing aspect so for instance i felt this sheltered stuff and i said okay i want to now feel the part of myself that is anti this sheltered thing Mm. what is it and so i looked over i come back to center center charlie i look over and i see (laughs) this cool dude in sunglasses being like up man and i was like okay what is my judgment it's like that guy's fucking cool he's like too cool for school and then i go first person into him and i go first person into sunglasses i go oh this guy's fucking terrified of being judged for not being cool Mm -hmm. and i felt it i was like he's wearing sunglasses because he's fucking scared and he's super stiff not because he's like me not because he's um cold-blooded and cool but because he's frozen in terror Mm -hmm. and that terror was of being judged or whatever so anyway in in experiencing these different rival parts of yourself you gain empathy you can function without the charge you can do so many different things um it's an awesome process and i i rushed it i didn't finish it prior to this podcast so i'm not perfect but i it's helped me to start to talk about this interesting yeah i just had a thought which uh i I don't know if i don't even know what's controversial anymore but jordan peterson says something that i think is very interesting which is that most people if, if we, if I, if you, if most of us were born into Nazi Germany, mm. they would be Nazis, yeah. right? And it's very easy from the outside and from the future to look back and go, those are terrible humans, right? And I'm Jewish, so like I get it. They've done, <laughs> they did terrible things. Yeah. I'm not here to defend it. And within Nazi Germany, there were in fact terrible people that I went mean, above yeah. and beyond, yeah. that were sadists, yeah. that were um, just, just really, you know, awful human beings. Mm-hmm. But most of the people right the majority of the people in nazi germany were people and if you were in nazi germany at that time you would have behaved like them which means some small group of people would have secretly and quietly hidden some jews yep a large group of people most of the people listening to this would have done what they had to do to get along to survive for their family because by the way if you openly oppose nazi germany government you and your family are in trouble right so you're not going to take pleasure in it, but you're going to pull the lever that gasses the Jews, mm-hmm. right? Or you're going to be on the front lines shooting Americans. Yeah. And I think when you sit with that idea, and at first it's very repulsive. I, mm-hmm. Trust me, I get it. You don't want to think that. You want to think you're going to be, and some of us would, that very, very special group of people hiding Jews. But you accept that most of the people you love, most of your friends, most of your neighbors would be there being Nazis. And then you apply that to today. And so you go depending on where you were born what circumstances you had as a child you could very easily have been a looter a protester mm-hmm. a cop someone arrested for a violent crime yeah like you're a bigot this is the thing so what we've done sorry to interrupt is we we basically try to have compassion for groups that are close to us but you even started to you're like but some were sadists it's like you have not have to getting to feel everything mm-hmm. is where the true power well, I'm is saying not everything's excusable right it doesn't need to be excusable to be understood. Sure. And so then so then you go through and you go, okay, so so does that mean that things shouldn't change? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Should we try to go for systemic change? Yep. Yes. 
but you can go for systemic change without demonizing the group. And so, for instance, Germans now seem to be pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. They seem to be some of the least bigoted people. They, in many cases, love to party and are very liberal and free thinking. And just <laughs> I love that you start you with love I mean? to party. No, I'm just saying, like, they're, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. they're not Nazis. When you think yeah, about yeah, Nazis, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. the exact opposite. Um, which is to say, okay, there was nothing about the German DNA that made them this way. And so you do the same thing here. You go, listen, am I okay with what is happening today? Not necessarily. Do I want to change the system? Yes. But can I do it without saying that all, and then just fill in your group, are evil? Mm -hmm. And your answer has to be yes. Because mm -hmm. if your answer is no, this entire group is evil, you will never achieve what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Actually, selfishly, it you have to stop doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? 100%. And I think that, that, that Jordan Peterson, I don't know if he invented it, but that thought exercise I found from him <laughs> is a very useful tool for getting you to that point because yeah. whatever you want to achieve if you think the other side is evil and dumb you are guaranteed to fail at achieving your change mm -hmm. and simultaneously if you have understanding for them and empathy for them as a group you can still hate individuals within the group and you can still try to change the system that creates the behavior you don't like totally, Does that totally. Make sense? no you the point that you've raised well because i forget to say this sometimes is people assume that understanding implies condoning and perpetuating and it does not. In fact, understanding is one of the most powerful ways that you can change things. Like you yeah, have yeah. to become it in order to move it and to change it as opposed to, to fighting it. Um, one of the things, and I think that Jordan Peters, it's an excellent, excellent exercise. But one of the things that I've seen as you go deeper is that there is a subtle difference between thinking exercises and feeling exercises. And so I've done a lot of, we, we sat and we like thought through what are people going to yeah, say. Yeah. Well, that, that one for me is very helpful though, personally, mm -hmm. just in terms of realizing that none of these people, I got held up at gunpoint in Brazil. Yeah. I got a gun pointed at my head. It was honestly, weirdly enough, not scarier than the riots, but certainly my life was in yeah, more yeah, danger. Yeah. A gun was six inches from my face, cocked and loaded, right? Without this thought exercise, it would have been very easy for me to go, that person was evil. And mm -hmm. I can't believe they put my life at risk for money. Yeah. But because of this thought exercise, I was able to go, if I were born in a favela in Brazil, I would do the exact same thing. Yep. Because my only means for getting out in my mind, whether it's true or not, would have been robbing people. Sure. And so it let me not be angry at that person. Yeah. And simultaneously, I can go, I could advocate for different gun laws in Brazil. I could advocate for different poverty laws in Brazil. I could advocate for all sorts of stuff sure. to change the system. But this thought exercise for me is the reason I don't begrudge that kid. Sure. So I'm going to draw a subtle difference, and I'm not sure how it relates to you. And it, there are certainly areas where the thought exercise is perfect. It's enough. It does it. There's other areas in which we might be more triggered, in which the thought exercise, while good, only goes halfway. So oh, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. it's, it's really effective. So here's one of the things, that, and I just not not for you or for but for people like your goal was it's not was implicitly you're like it helped me not be angry. And what I'm actually advising is slightly different. Is like feel the anger. Oh, no, I'm Be saying angry. it helped me not begrudge that person. Sure. It helped me not forget anger. It helped me not think that person was evil and worse than me. Yes. And so the question is, which I don't know what's occurring in you, is that is that top rank thinking that matches the gut level experience of the poor? Is, is that in communion? Or have you managed to repress a feeling of disdain for the poor? And you obviously, you're not going to answer for, it on this podcast. That. Well, I think I can. Not for that one, because I, mm -hmm. my... My overwhelming experience isn't that. You sure. Know, maybe if every single day a Brazilian kid pointed a gun at yeah, me, yeah, yeah, yeah. at some point I'd have some subconscious yes. resentment. But for me, it was one very emotionally charged moment mm -hmm. that but you were able to dispel. Amongst a sea of buying coconuts from people yep. on the beach, whatever it might be, like uh, that wasn't my majority experience in life, and it yeah. didn't happen at a formative age. Exactly. Exactly. And so, 
I actually think I'm in line on that one because I didn't ha I didn't grow up having guns thrown into my face, nor have I had a hundred guns thrown in my face. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So there isn't there isn't that repressed subconscious belief. Okay, hundred percent. And I believe you. I believe you. If it is the case that somebody has something that is more triggering, and the other thing which I will say, sure. which again, and it's not because they're worse than me and I'm better. No, than no, them. no. Just no, because no. I didn't I didn't have this happen. To Whatever. Me you didn't control your reaction. That's the yeah. thing. Nobody, you, reactions happen and we try to judge it and say this is inappropriate to the situation and I should be more forgiving because he's just this poor kid. But if you feel anger, that does not go away by you telling it it's not real. And we learn from it. This is the whole crux of what I've been trying to teach in this course, which I keep plugging it, but I think it's going to be fucking great, is we are conditioned from a young age to pride, prize behavior over being. Mm -hmm. And that means that we say we are sorry without feeling sorry. We say thank you with no gratitude. Yeah, yeah. And so we do not actually, we do not become kind people. We become polite people. It takes so much work to not say I'm sorry unless you're actually sorry. Yeah. I've been trying to do it. <clears throat> I catch myself so often. I and think that that's, I think that's probably a lot of people's experience. Sure. They express emotions that they don't actually feel because they think that they're supposed to or just because it's a habit. Exactly. And so right now what I see is a tremendous amount of pressure in social media and the, and the news to express the politically correct opinion, which may or may not match what you feel. Mm -hmm. And the what and I... And it's going to vary depending on your political party. And it's going to vary. So it, maybe it's fucking perfect, and but maybe it's not. So what I would recommend is before you, you try to change other people or engage in too much dialogue, it's really helpful to go inside, do the exercise that I said, and be like, how do I feel? And encounter that deep hatred yeah. of whoever hurts you and the sadness and the fear and the and the desire to take from someone who has wronged you and when you do that then you can like go out and be much more effective mm -hmm. in the world so so probably if you actually care about affecting change study the people that have been most effective at affecting change gee, would be my the my number advice. one i mean buddha jesus who else <laughs> you know what i mean what are these people if not paragons of of no self understanding sure. and right? i'm not even going to tell people where to look but mm -hmm. i'm my thing is just let's say that you you are like listen all this emotional mumbo jumbo i'm not concerned mm -hmm. about myself i want to change the system mm -hmm. i'd say great study other people who have changed the system successfully yeah, yeah and i think you'll find that a lot of it is going to line up with weirdly enough what you charlie have been saying there's also, and I, I think it's worth saying, there's a lot of violence that has changed the system for a long time. Alexander the Great didn't talk to people. <laughs> you know, he came and he, well, he, he conquered. Had the, he had the power. He had the power. He and the so power. the question is, what do you want? Do you want to affect behavioral change in your enemies and in people? Or do you want to live in a world that has increased understanding and compassion? Because... Mm -hmm. You don't need to understand people to affect change. You can put, I mean, uh, you can do horrible things to people and control their bodies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think Alexander the Great is a great example. That's not a, That's not the populace uh, changing the system for the better. Sure. And making their lives better. I'm just, let's take, for example, Hitler, who was able to control a ton of people sure. with no understanding. He got people to die, to move, to do hard labor uh, with no understanding. So violence works to move bodies. It doesn't, this is so cheesy, it doesn't work to move souls or spirits or, or emotions or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so what else do we have? There was, dude, I had a podcast prior to dude, all of I know. this do happening. You know, do you want to know how outdated <laughs> my notes are? I have so much. I saw, I saw a video, which I still stand by. No one, I really said this in the beginning, no one has any idea what's happening in any of these protests. Yeah. I saw a video where there was a white guy that walked up to a building, smashes a window and leaves. And it convinced me that in that moment, what he was trying to do was incite looting yeah. to undermine the protests. And I still think that for that one camera, right? Yeah. So I was going to come on the podcast and say, I have no idea who's rioting and looting, 
But to me, I'm not convinced it's the protesters. I still don't think it's the protesters, but I no longer think it's 100% incited by, um, what are they called? Saboteurs? Yeah. Because I watched our neighborhood <laughs> yeah, not yeah. be like that. Yeah, the yeah. same person that broke the window stole the stuff. And mm -hmm. so I was like, all right, well, that's a note I was going to say. Yeah, can't yeah. Say. Another thing, here's another thing I was going to say. LA is back open. <laughs> hey, guys. The COVID, COVID <laughs> shutdown is over. Okay, cool. To be clear, the COVID shutdown My is over. My neighborhood has never been more closed. I <laughs> could barely get home this morning. Uh, the roads are blocked. So it's yeah. like, oh, well, that's outdated. Yeah, yeah. But doing these podcasts every two weeks is funny because, like, you just you just have things that are not true 12 days later when yeah. you look at them. So the other thing is... I have funny ones that are just completely different, but go ahead. Well, no, I have one. So uh, protests in COVID. Uh -huh. Like for a while, one, it's funny. For a while, we were told if you gather in groups, you gather outside, you're a, you're a murderer because you're passing yeah. around Corona and you're killing people and you're a demon. Now we're told we should go outside and congregate because that's like the socially responsible thing to do. Uh, corona's still out there. I'm very curious to see what happens. Yeah. You do see a lot of protesters wearing masks, which is good, mm -hmm. but... They're very, very close together. There are people screaming and yelling. Uh, this almost, in my mind, guarantees a second wave in urban areas. But I also don't think the country is set up to be able to shut down. Because I, I think we can't shut down. Exactly. So we will. We're just going to. I hate it, but but we can't. We're just going to have Corona. I, think. Yeah. I actually don't think there's going to be a shutdown. I think well, it's just we're I just going to, for a little bit, run an experiment called what happens if Corona runs rampant. And then maybe if there's a ton of Corona deaths, we'll shut down. I think, but I don't yeah. think we can flatten the curve preemptively again. I think, and again, this is based on just no data, but my gut says that we're at the point, because I think that the people who die in these protests, uh, you have to ascribe some of it to economics. Like the, that, the, that there would have been protests, but there would have been less looting, which means there would have been lowered police response, which means there would, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, you, so we have some deaths that are stacking up on the, uh, shutdown side and we said this from the beginning like it's lives on both sides there are people who are going to die of coronavirus and there's going to be people who die of the economic yeah yeah. the situation is just rough there's a pandemic and tons of social inequality and wealth inequality the question is when have we crossed the line and i think we have where it's like we need to brave the pandemic because the economic outcome of i mean it's it's teetering man if it, it, like if things got worse it we're three meals away from a revolution at any given point and that is violent so I think we're at the point where it's we need to brave some coronavirus for a period of time yeah. and wear our masks and socially distance. But we got it. Economics are going to yeah, yeah. or in my opinion, ought to drive things. But that's not based on anything. Uh, here's a fun one. <laughs> this is like the day after you ever hear of Kiva.org. Kiva? Kiva. No, it's uh, microloans. You have? Oh. Kiva is microloans. So it's super cool. I really like the idea. Um, I you go on and you can find people in various things and let you split it up by whatever interests you you want to do women or or uh, conflict zones or agriculture and you can give a, a loan to a specific person so like I gave one to Thomas who needed some goats and he got some, like and it's a loan this is amazing he's allegedly he's he's done this once or twice before what interest rate are you extorting Thomas with I think there is interest. Some of them are no interest loans. Some of them are not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like 96% of the loans get paid back. So they do a really good job of checking, which means that on average, you know, if I gave whatever money, I can expect 96% of it back, which mm -hmm. is amazing. Uh, I saw his picture. You know, he's, he's in there. It is it is charity in a way that is so psychologically perfect. Yeah, it's rewarding, right? Oh, my God. I, I had such a blast. I was like, let's pick someone else. Like, I... I they had Grace come over. I was like, who do you want to, you know, it, it feels really nice. And you How read their story. How much person do you give to each person? So you can give, there are people on there that are groups. And I actually want to talk about the psychology of how I felt in terms of my donation. 
Um, so you can give anywhere. There's there's ones that are 50 or 100 bucks. There's ones that are 300, and there's groups that are like 5,000 mm. or more than that. But why would you rather give to a group than to 10 individuals? I'd rather give to 10 individuals. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like 10 $500 so, so I, I, loans I think feels that, better than one $5,000 loan. I think that psychologically they could do a better job. They're doing amazing work. They're doing fucking amazing work. Kiva.org. With a K? K. And so I, there was a couple things that I felt from a psychological perspective that I think are true of just one. I wanted to complete the loan. So it's crowdfunded. So somebody might have $100 of the $200. I wanted to finish or pay in an entirety alone. So yeah. I actually wanted smaller amounts. And I'm fortunate I would have given the more money, but they cap your do your loans at 500. And so there were times where I like found a dude that I liked who needed 750 bucks. I was like, I want that guy. But because I could only give 500 and not complete it, I didn't want to do it. Hmm. So like they need to limit the cap on donations because there's a psychological trigger that would have made me feel good to be like, that's my boy. He's going to get his yeah, goats awesome. or his fishing nets or whatever it is. Um, so they need to get rid of that. The other thing is the groups did not speak to me. Hmm. Is these group photos of, of these people together and like this generic thing and I didn't care. Uh, the other thing is that unfortunately, and I know I would have given more if this were not the case, there were several profiles that were repeated. So it was like different faces of different people, but then like, this is Thomas. He has his wife and his four children in a hut in a small village, and he likes. And it was just repeated for several people. This was Greg, and he also. This has is a Greg, and he has wife a wife and, and four kids, and lives. And, 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 and it, was, it was like you don't all got four kids. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah, you don't yeah, all yeah. have four kids. Um, and I rec and then you know it's just some volunteer who is like writing and probably copy pasting a story. Yeah. Now are these people that have kids and a wife? Maybe they all have stories. Uh, it's just if you could give me a little bit more insight. I know you would increase my tendency to donate. Mm. So it seems like that's an area that's worth bumping up. But anyway, it's super cool. I thought the psychological aspect of it was fascinating. And the idea that like in 12 months, I might not have even lost any money on this. And yeah, you, you can just, help just, a guy you, just you just do it again. Yeah. And uh, it's awesome. It's like capitalism and charity and it's very cool. Yeah. So do you think nonprofits should do the same thing? I think microloans are fascinating because what they force you to do is to operate in the capitalist world that we do, which is not like, look, people are not going to give you things forever. Uh, oh, I was saying, for instance, like we donated a lot of money to the Against, Mal Against Malaria yeah. Foundation, right? To buy nets. Yeah. I don't know when that money was deployed mm. or who it went to. Yeah. Would they be better off? Now, that's weird because each net's only 10 cents, but would they be better off showing the photos of the people that yes. the nets are going to go to before you donate, not after? You know what I mean? Just being like, here are some of the yes. people in the community. Oh, you could pick? 100%. Yeah. And and it's weird because I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you pick the guy who's got the big smile or the woman who's got like who's there well, with, her, with her animal. Or with like, Against Malaria Foundation, if you're going to give $1,000, you're yeah. getting 10,000 nets. Yeah. So you're not going to select them all. So maybe you go select 20 people. You go, oh, I feel so good about helping those people. Or you just get one guy who's a representative of his village or yeah, his whatever. Exactly. You go, this is thing. He's he's the, uh, the leader of this village and he's so excited because his 50, like. Yeah, but people without good smiles are still going to get nets because you're 100%. literally buying 10,000 nets for $1,000. Yes, yes. And what is missing is this connection. And so I realized my, my motivator psychologically was I wanted to feel good and feel connected but also the thing that is scary and i think one of the reasons that i don't donate more to people in my community is i am afraid of two things one i'm afraid of misspending and kiva does make me feel really good about that but also i'm afraid of increase i'm afraid of the increased connection there are people that stand on our corner that are screaming and mumbling or whatever asking for money and i'm afraid that they would target me 
every day as someone to like give them more money. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I feel that desire to not be too connected. Yeah. I would like to anonymously like donate if I knew that I felt the money was going to an appropriate mm -hmm. place. Well, it's, I mean, again, not <clears throat> if somebody looks dangerous, don't do this, but I, I walk my dog every day. And so I purposely never bring my wallet. So when people yeah. are like, Hey, can I have money? I'm just like, I don't have any. And, mm -hmm. but that lets me, that lets me not be afraid of them in that sense, which mm -hmm. lets me actually talk to them. Yeah. So I'm like, hey man, I don't have any money, sorry, but like, I hope you have a good day. Yeah. And there's a guy I've said that to a bunch of times, and like, I recognize him now, he recognizes me. He doesn't yeah. ask for money, but like, you know, we smile at each other as we Which pass, is important, so. I think. No, I, I actually think it's very helpful for him to have mm -hmm. someone that sees him and smiles yeah. when they see him, yeah. you know what I mean? I imagine um, it's incredibly dehumanizing to sit there, ask, and get no. This is- A non-response. This is the other thing. just walk by and ignore him, but yeah, so I, th I which is to say like, I think actually you can, contribute in other ways to people's lives and you, you don't have to worry. Yeah, that yeah. Gonna... I don't mean to say everybody needs to donate their money or whatever, but mm -hmm. one of the things that you just mentioned, and I, I wanted to say this earlier, is that I felt this way for a long while. Like cities are insane and they've gotten crazy. If you were to move to our area from the Midwest or anywhere and you saw the blatant disregard for homelessness and the plight of the person who is on drugs, on the bench, moaning in this diabolical painful way and then just watched hordes of people walk by completely on you would be mm. mortified you'd be totally mortified but that's common yeah, yeah. In well cities. and in a month you'd be doing the same thing and you'd be doing the same thing you'd be it's not because you're a better person you would just be you would acclimate to that yeah. very quickly and it's like that is why that's that's the kindling not just the homelessness but but the people who live outside or live nearby and can see into these apparently at least financially privileged lives mm -hmm. feeling so close yet so separate from them and also like so if you watch parasite like so separate and judged and like they're stinky and disgusting that that is fucked up man mm -hmm. that is not a community that is uh that is a group of people who live together with the only thing tying them together the being the police force, which separates one yeah, from yeah. the other. Well, that's why my sister left LA because she thought it didn't have a community. Uh, I wanted a community for other reasons, but I realized it's not just about feeling good. It's about like when I was scared in my house, I called you. I was like, do you want to come down? But there's 50 other people in this building that I didn't call and didn't mm -hmm. even think to call because we don't have a relationship where I would expect them to cover for me in the slightest. No, yeah, everyone just boarded up in their own apartment. So yeah, anyway, I... I part of the reason I want to move is just like, that's not good. It's not healthy for me, for my, my life. It's not healthy for me to bypass people in the street, nor I, I do, am I capable, I think, of really creating a community in this area. So I w I'd like to move somewhere where it's a bit more doable. Maybe that's a cop-out. Do you think that's a cop-out that I'm for, like- For why you want to move? No, no, no. For the fact that I'm like, I can't do a community here. It's not conducive to community here. These, these isolated apartments, this- No, you could do it. Okay. You could do it. You literally just like host a dinner or a barbecue. Sorry, I don't mean the building necessarily. I mean the guy outside who is. I mean, I mean the dramatic amount of people with such a variety of life experiences and needs. Mm. And uh, one of, I mean, how many of our neighbors are we, we are just sleeping on benches? You know, that those are our neighbors. Mm -hmm. uh, how how do you do you invite them to dinner as well? Maybe that's the answer. Maybe everybody comes to dinner. The guy next door and the person outside is that. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't have it either. Um, but I certainly know that people did not loot what they felt like were their own people and friends. You yeah, didn't yeah. go rob your friend's store. You robbed the other's store. And then you got the cops to shoot rubber bullets at the other. You know, it's just this whole divide, which is 
what Ray Dalio talks about. Anyway, do you have anything else that uh, you want to talk about prior to this madness? Sure, yeah. Um, well, SpaceX happened. That's cool. That's cool. They managed to launch humans into space, and then I think most impressively reland the rocket. I don't really have mm-hmm. anything to add except for that it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I didn't watch it at all, uh, but I just love that Elon Musk was like, "Why is this so expensive? It's because we have to rebuild the rocket every time." What if we didn't? People yeah. were like, "Well, you have to." He's like, mm, "Let's just land it." And now here we are, literally launched humans into space and then landed it on a platform to be reused as soon as it's cleaned, basically. It's incredible. So, dude, capitalism has a lot of problems, clearly, in the division of goods. But one thing it does really fucking well is solve problems. It doesn't allocate the the, the resources, like, kindly, certainly. But, I mean, we had a government-run space thing for a long time. And you just let Elon do his market thing. He's like, no, no, no. This is how yeah, yeah. I make stuff work. No, I think capitalism is good for innovation and it's good for net country wealth creation. And what it's bad for is uh, wealth equality. Mm-hmm. But I don't have anything to add except for I thought that was really cool. And I just really like the fact that he solved the problem by thinking of something uniquely different. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not, it's not that he has better fuel. He asks great questions. He's like, how can we do this 10 times cheaper? Yeah. Uh, you're like, what? Because uh, most people are like, how do I do it 20% cheaper? He's like, no, no, no. It just puts you in a completely different yeah. universe of thought. I want to do 10 of these launches for the yeah. cost that you do one. Yeah. That's insane. You go, well, it's impossible. You're like, the only well, way to do that would be to not destroy the rocket. You're yeah, like, yeah, to reuse the rocket. Let's figure it out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's awesome stuff. Here's a totally random one. I've seen this thing. Uh, so, cancel culture it exists. It's uh-huh. out there. It's this thing where you say something and then people will repeat it, the clip of it, or the... Uh, sentence and oftentimes what is done doesn't have to be but is that it will be taken out of context Mm -hmm. so what people have learned to do and i think it's dangerous is to say the opposite of what they mean so that they are communicating the same sort of disdain but cannot but if they were taken out of context actually sounds friendly so uh i think i see pewdiepie do it masterfully uh you know one of the things that he says which is in my opinion facetious is he says you have to respect all women right and he puts the wah instead of woman and it's a funny joke haha because like you know you don't just respect everybody whatever but he doesn't say it doesn't make respect sense to respect all women comma you need to judge people on their merit because you could just grab the first piece of that sentence slap it into a thing and say pewdiepie says don't respect women but when he says respect all women he gets to say that over and over and over again and he cannot effectively be taken out of context and destroyed and i think this is a real issue because people are not saying what they mean. And so uh, it was a criticism of H3H3 is that, and I think it's reasonable, is he's making fun of this guy and he's going, he's a legend, man. He's a legend. And it's like, come on, man. You're, you're, you're teasing him. Like, you could say that he's being a legend, but let the, don't let that get you off the hook. It might be good-natured ribbing. It might be, we can argue about that. But what you're saying who is, is that this, teasing? Uh, this guy who makes cringe videos, he's like, he's a legend. It's like, dude, you think that what he does is stupid. <laughs> and you won't say it uh-huh. and it's not just age, it, like people have learned particularly on the internet to communicate in this way which isn't saying what they think and i think it's uh it's a predictable dangerous response to cancel culture which is now people are just speaking in code um and why is it dangerous i think one of the ways that uh that discussion needs to occur is like you need to trust the person that you're speaking with in order uh, to so solve if, problems if gonna, i understand if you're going to have a difficult philosophical debate 
You How, need to should be able we to... believe all women who make rape claims? Now, PewDiePie is just joking. You know what I mean? But like, you need to trust the person you're speaking with to not uh, screw you and blackball you and say, "Oh, you said this." Like to to try to. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I mean, most discussions on the internet are not about convincing the person you're talking to. They're just about the crowd. Oh, dude, you nailed my next point. Good guy. Thanks, dude. I read this great article that was called uh, The Internet of Beefs. Yeah. And it's just all about like that. It's fucking hilarious. Um, I'll just... So they talk about... for smoking does this, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, he's talking about ice cream with his kid. And he goes, well, I'm not convinced. He goes, I'm not trying to convince you. I don't care what you think. Yeah. Convincing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what the internet is. It's the Internet of Beefs, and uh, it's a funny thing. He talks, it, he breaks it down as like feudal terms. So he talks about the knights who are the influencers and what he calls the mooks, which are all the people who go to war for them and like mm, bleed. Nice. And he talks about the motivation of the mook. Why is, a mook? I don't know why he calls them mooks. I don't know what a mook is. Um, but he's like the, the like the goal of the mook is to be recognized by his his knight in that moment, with his crowning uh, glory, uh, a retweet, which would which would make his day. <laughs> the mooks will vie for for nice. it's it's so funny. Um, Let's see. And the, and the knights... I'm going to um, Google this term. I don't know what mooks mean. Um, a common posture above the knights is that the mooks are not important, that, uh, that they are not responsible for what the mooks do, nor accountable for the views held by the mooks who fight under their banners. And just this idea that we say, it doesn't matter what, what my fans say. Well, like, this is exactly what happened While with... While goading them on. With H3 and Keemstar, you know, going at each other, being like... I, I'm not responsible, but you're wearing G Fuel. You're wearing G Fuel. You're wearing G Fuel. It's like, I, I didn't say that to call up his thing and get his sponsorship canceled. Yeah. Uh, now, I think there's a reasonable thing, which is we have to draw the line of when are you to be held accountable for stuff somebody else says because you've incited them, and when is it like, I need to be able to talk about stuff without everybody going and shitting on whoever I did it. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it's a really interesting analysis of the of the dynamics of these internet beefs and how they keep people relevant and how the whole point of the war is to keep the mooks <laughs> like just constantly talking about you and going at it and fighting these other knights and Interesting. all that happens is you get rich until they take your sponsors away. I was going to say, yeah, YouTube, YouTube beefs have real consequences now. Now they do. Now they do, which is four week old news. So <laughs> we'll leave it be. anything else that you had. Yeah, I got some stuff, but none of it is time sensitive. So let me know if you want to wrap or not. Uh, our friend got gaslit the first time i've ever had a friend get gaslit. oh yeah 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 you want to talk about that yeah, sure you never experienced this before do you know the story do you, uh, do you remember it? it dude my brain is elsewhere so you can retell it well i don't i don't really remember it honestly so okay it's a long time ago basically what happened was our friend has a woman that he occasionally hooks up with right they're very casual and she will blow him off most of the time he will he tried to facetime with her during the uh corona shutdown just to like say hi he texts her and she doesn't respond. And then she hit him up for a booty call one night, right? A literal WYD, literal WYD question mark at seven or eight p.m. Yeah. So he's after like, after months of no communication. Her. Yeah. Yeah. So and the goes, last and one of the last times, one of the things that I remember, and it's not. I'm not saying that this friend is uh, handled everything kindly or perfectly, but you know, walked down to to get her Uber after she was going to go home one night. Like walked downstairs, got neighbor. Okay, bye. And she's like you know didn't touch him didn't kiss him goodbye like, bye like yeah. you know ran away but then hits him up for sex and then hits him up and says that he's being weird well so then so she gives gives him the what you do in question mark yeah right so he's like all right yeah come over uh which i think is a bad call <laughs> but she comes over they hook up she hangs out afterwards and watch a movie i think they get food maybe or he gets he calls her a car whatever it's like a very normal experience and then afterwards 
she hits him up and says the next day yeah you i don't like the way you treat me like shit after we have sex which is fascinating because she regularly treats him like shit while he tries to treat her like someone who he's casually dating like i'd say he tries to buy her food tries to buy her well even aside forget purchases or whatever i mean the question is are you being clear in your intent and uh polite kind you know i just thought it was fascinating that after blowing him off for months yeah she then guilt trips him and then he being someone who i think wants to be a good person and simultaneously is insecure about himself takes that straight to heart and just panics yeah that somebody in the world thinks he's a bad guy and it was really interesting because i'd never seen somebody get gaslit before i've I've heard about it i've heard people complain about it but that was my initial his initial reaction was like apologizing and trying to work things out and what do you like give 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 and then we spoke and you spoke i was like look i've I've seen some of these interactions some of them have occurred in public where she pretends not to see you Mm -hmm. as you walk in you're like and then she acts like she can't see you and then the whole thing gets really weird uh this is insane like i'm i'm a third party who has seen some of these interactions though not all of them uh yeah it was just interesting to watch fascinating and i get it now more you know because you see you hear you hear people get stuck in these relationships that are emotionally abusive or they're dating a narcissist or whatever it is and they lose touch with reality you go Mm -hmm. how is that possible and i just saw it i went oh that's how that's how it works there was in him what i saw was a the, the most desire to uh make things right so it's interesting this this there's a personality that wants to make things right and so a way to get increased attention from that person is to break something mm-hmm. you know and to say you broke this now make it right and this can happen with men and women and i think it happens more frequently than it should mm-hmm. but yeah they're like oh wow this person is upset something is wrong they're telling me that i've done it and that's been solid feedback for most of my life. I've been, you know, when somebody's told me, hey, you're being a jerk, they've been <laughs> close to the mark. Uh, so they must be right. And what's weird, like, he would have handled it without speaking to us very Well, this is what I was going to say. So I did, I did this video on 90 Day Fiance about toxic relationships and red flags. And one of the things I said is people will try to separate you from your friends. Mm. And it's very important you don't let them because if he didn't have us to talk to and also if he had hidden the relationship from us so that we hadn't seen what it actually looked like she would have absolutely been able to write reality for him Mm -hmm. you know what i mean just the way he works being being able to be manipulated by guilt very easily he he would have just bought in on whatever her reality was because her frame was really strong and because he's susceptible to that yep so like we said in the video it's very important not to let your significant other separate you from your friends 100 it's a the number one way to protect yourself from being gaslit yeah and to uh the other thing that I think is difficult to do is, depending on your personality, you might make excuses for your significant other. You might, uh, because you're unable emotionally to separate from them, you want to say, oh, no, they, they, he didn't mean to hit me. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, oh, oh no, she, just she gets didn't. mad because he loves No, no, I actually, was, I actually was. the And, and you, tr- you then become the lawyer for this person as opposed yeah. to the sharer of... Uh, as facts as best you can mm-hmm. and you start uh, altering your friend's perception so that they feed you back okay it sounds like it sounds like everything's okay when, which is not the case for that type of person yeah, yeah. um so yeah speaking of 90 day fiance i saw a lot of really cool i knew writing that video that people would be watching it and pointing to their exes and going oh this is why they're bad and yeah, i was yeah. good i was shocked at the number of people who wrote in the comments and was like, oh, wow, I just realized I'm toxic. Like, <laughs> oh, wow, I just realized I'm manipulative. And I thought that was really cool yeah. that people were 
able to get through their ego and their self-defense mechanisms and learn that what they're doing is bad i was actually very very surprised by that which was cool yeah i wouldn't have predicted no. too many of those but I, it was awesome i was very happy and and uh i don't know proud of the, of the people video. that follow us yeah yeah good shit man you've been making a lot of videos i just had my first little react one go up and it was so good that we might let it run for two weeks straight <laughs> there's nothing to do with the fact that i didn't make a video in time um so yeah, all my other stuff is is neither here nor there. Copyright seems uh seems out of left seems field. Small. So if you want to go to if you want to go to yeah, let's questions. go to questions, Justin. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, getting a lot of questions from Patreon. All right, nice. Justin is Justin <laughs> is buttering you guys up, and I will say thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, we are at the six hundred dollar mark. We get to do this once every two weeks. We have a ton to say, and we do it. If you guys want more episodes, uh, I think at nine hundred we do it but quite frankly 600 is fine thank you to everybody it means a ton we love doing this mm -hmm. this is not for earning money because we don't earn money justin earns some money and we get the tired money yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so my question for ben and charlie is this i've been in a great relationship for a year now i've never found a better match or a healthier relationship despite that i still feel myself fantasizing about a potentially better partner this frustrates me given how much i love my girlfriend I think part of my angst comes from my being 23 and thinking I'm supposed to spend my 20s dating casually. If it helps, my girlfriend is 22. I try to remind myself how frustrating dating would be because it would be hard to find someone who has all the positive traits my girlfriend does, beauty, intelligence, work, work ethic, agreeability, and maturity. And I've talked to her about my wondering what else is out there, and she told me she never does that. I like to think this is a sign that I'm the studliest dude out there, <laughs> but there's probably a more realistic explanation. Regardless, it makes me feel bad that she doesn't have, she doesn't seem to have these same fantasies. How should I deal with this? I feel I would feel better if she also fantasized about other people, but she told me she wouldn't even leave me for Harry Styles. First of all, I don't think you would. As someone who's done multiple open relationships, I don't think you would actually like it if she fantasized about other people, especially people in your life. Well, she also might. The other the, here, so I have a couple layers of. There was a handful of questions in there, right? which is what should I do? How should I feel about my feelings? Let's start at the ones that I'm very, very confident in. Uh, Marry her. <laughs> you're a sick, sick person. <laughs> no, the, the feeling guilty about the way one feels, if you've watched the first part of this podcast and not just this clip, it, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, feelings arise spontaneously. The wandering eye can arise spontaneously. Behaviors are a choice, but you do not want to clamp down on yourself at the level of, of feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And if she has a different feeling, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, her feeling might change in six months or two years or ten years if you guys get married, where she feels, oh my gosh, for the first time ever, I want Harry Styles. So, uh, I want to encourage you to uh, embrace, not resist, not fight the fact that you feel that it is mm -hmm. not wrong. It does not make you a bad person. Nothing that arises spontaneously in you could make you bad because there's no choice. I mean, yeah, like I bad think, requires a choice. I actually think it's Esther Perel, but I could be wrong. But there's some relationship expert, and obviously be skeptical of all relationship experts, but mm -hmm. someone who says that a lot of the issues in relationships come from this, in their mind, false belief that you shouldn't have a wandering eye, mm -hmm. which is to say you shouldn't have wandering hands or wandering genitals but that it's natural to at some point in your relationship be thinking about what would it be like if I were with someone else. And when you think that makes you a bad person or when you think it makes your partner a bad person, according to this expert, that's what leads to a lot of problems in mm -hmm. relationships. 
Mm-hmm. So just worth being wary of that. Sure. So that's the first piece. And the second piece of what ought you do, with, you know, your age, whatever, does it matter? If you told me you were 43 or 23, I don't, it doesn't matter necessarily to me in this particular case. And what I would say is, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you're removing guilt. I would sit down and ask yourself what drives you. This can be a very useful exercise to be like, what keeps me in this relationship? Is it love or fear? I heard some fear in there. I heard some some fear of not finding someone else. Um, I, by the way, I had that exact fear with that at that exact age. I yeah. had a relationship when I was 23. And she was, in my opinion, beautiful, intelligent, sweet. And I thought to myself, if I break up with this woman, maybe I'll spend the rest of my life regretting that I did that. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, I'm not saying that that's, all I'll say is that that's fear. That's mm-hmm. not love keeping me in the relationship in that moment. Sure. That's just being scared of regret. So ask yourself and identify, uh, you know, what's driving you right now. And the useful exercise is to go, okay, if I was driven by love, and that could be love of myself, that could be love of a future that I could have with someone else. It could be love of her. I mean, if, if I let myself move um, from a place of love, what decision would I make? And I just want to make clear because I think the tendency is, oh, I love, I need to be with the person I'm in a relationship with. That That is not the only way that love can express oneself. Mm-hmm. Love can be a recognition that uh, that I need to allow myself to have further experiences. Now, I don't want to push you too far that way. I was going to say, so what, what feelings or thoughts or emotions or realizations would make you you stay in a relationship in his position versus get out of a relationship in his position? Well, uh, the good news is you can ask yourself this question every week or every, you know, you can, you can constantly ask yourself this question. So the answer today, you know, might be stay in the relationship. And, Mm -hmm. and also what it might be is, wow, I need to behave differently in this relationship. Like I'm, I'm one foot in one foot out with my behaviors and Mm -hmm. my attitude. Um, I actually watched this with my brother. He did a, he did one of those, uh, centers where that you go to and they do the things. And he realized he's like, I'm one foot in one foot out of this relationship. I'm all in. And he went all in. And then a month later, they broke up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, because and, he realized because that it wasn't he was as like, great as he "I'm all in, and this isn't great." Yeah. Um, so that's that's an option too. But I would say, you know, sit down. What emotion is love? And and I do think, I mean, you, your intuition and your gut is a good guide in these kinds of situations where there's not like a wrong decision. Yeah. The only thing that you can do is make a decision for someone else. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is make the decision for yourself mm-hmm. uh not to please her or to please someone else or whatever so so that's like yeah find that intuition i had i had a mental exercise that I, i've found useful in some relationships which is like i said i actually think having potential thoughts or dreams or whatever about someone else doesn't mean your relationship is necessarily broken or bad that said for me one exercise i like to do is i go if i could push a button and this person would just forget who I was and we would we would be separated with but with no resentment towards me no anger towards me and I would forget about them would I push this button right so now I don't have to worry about fear of loss thinking about them and being sad and having a song come on and going oh wow this reminds me of her and now I'm sad and I don't have to worry about feeling guilty either as I go off and have fun and this person is sad towards me and what that exercise for me makes me realize is whether or not I and with the person just because of the joy and the positive of the relationship or if fear and guilt are keeping me in. Yep. So that's my, I mean, I know I'm all about the mental exercises or I was all about the emotional exercises, but I think to myself, yeah, if I had a button that would just make us both forget the other one ever existed, 
would I push it? Mm-hmm. And I've been in relationships where I'm like, oh yeah, that would be sick. Mm-hmm. And that makes me realize that what's keeping me in this relationship is not my love of being with the other person necessarily. Mm-hmm. Cool. What else we got? Next. I'm not sure if it's too late, but they said, uh, I'm a fourth year medical student and this year Uh-oh. we will be unable <laughs> to travel to residency programs to interview in person. We will have one-on-one interviews as well as virtual social hours with multiple interviewees and current residents. So they were just wondering if you had any advice for virtual interviewing. Virtual interviews? Um, I have a handful. I mean, so watch our, our interview video, I think, is it's actually one of our lower-viewed, better videos. I think mm-hmm. it's really good. For virtual interviews, just how to ace any interview or something, uh, the, what would I add for virtual? I've only had one or two. What I would advise is... This is, this is very tactical, but like set up your station where you're gonna record before. Feel comfortable with the background that's gonna record. Mm-hmm. Uh, put on a, the full work suit that you need. And it mm-hmm. might not be a suit. It might be for your job, it might be something else. But like dress as if you were walking in to the interview and don't not wear pants because they're not on the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other stuff is gonna be very similar, which is you're gonna, you're gonna prime yourself, you're gonna walk around, like, you know, da 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 slap yourself wake up you know get in a little bit of more talkative mood uh the only thing that i would potentially add for online interviews and you know this from any sort of online conference call is that you need to be more comfortable with space and silence because of that weird giving space to someone to speak online Mm -hmm. can take time so you don't don't feel quite as rushed to be extroverted outgoing and joke cracky as you might have been if you were in person you could slide jokes in in a very uh, understandable way because there's not that weird internet latency mm. thing going on. Uh, anything else? No, I guess the only other thing I'd say, I think since it's impossible for people not to take looks into effect, I'd, I'd get good lighting as yeah. well. I think if you and another candidate are equal in every way, but that person just looks good on camera and you're mm. a gray blob, you're going to lose. Microphones are interesting, weirdly enough. I don't know if this is true of interviews, but certainly of YouTube videos, your audio is, I want to be fair, so much more important in the quality of your video. I mean, the joke about PewDiePie recording on crap videos is true, but you cannot skimp on audio because mm-hmm. people will click off. So I don't know if that carries the interviews, but just something to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, cool, anything else? Yep. Um, hey guys, I had a question about finding purpose. I've been studying music composition in school for four years and have almost finished the degree. Although I really enjoy being a musician, after taking a moment to honestly question my motivation for composition specifically, I began to doubt my choice to pursue this. What are your guys' thoughts about finding motivation and meaning in your career choice? How do you know when it's time to double down on one thing or explore a different path? For context, I'm a 22-year-old male and live in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So he was thinking of doing music composition. We don't know what he found, but he he explored this and was like, ah, this maybe isn't the most pure motivation. Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you want to start? Sure. I mean, on the whole, I'd say I'm more of a grinder and you're more of a passion pursuer. Mm-hmm. So I feel like your answer is going to be more illuminating. But I guess one thing I would say is when I was in investment banking, I thought I was going to love it because they sell you on it being challenging and intellectually stimulating and you're going to love your coworkers. And I got in there and I hated it. Mm-hmm. Like I absolutely knew I hated it. So then I we've talked about this all before, but I, I went through some mental exercises of what would my ideal day look like? What would I do with $100 million? What am I already doing in my free time? Slash, what do I pay money to do? And I wrote down and I brainstormed lists for each of those three things. Mm -hmm. And I looked for where it overlapped. And that's how I found my passion. Yep. We, in addition to that, there's a video that I made way back in the day. It's got a 
different background that's about how to find your passion. And there's an additional number of questions that can help hone in on that. So check that out. The, the one thing that I would say is if you are 22 years old, I've seen that it often takes a bad work experience to catapult you into your passion. I don't really know many people who just went college passion. I know a lot of people who went college soul-sucking job that was like Vroom. well weirdly enough our friend who's a music teacher might yeah be the only he's one. the only one he's yeah. the only one that was like no i love music and i want to teach music and i and i love this i don't know if he wanted to be a teacher his whole life maybe he switched within music but he's just music. was a hundred percent positive yeah. he was all in on music from ninth grade yeah and now he's a music teacher slash band director mm -hmm. um but he's the only one i can think of yeah so that to say that here your age is relevant take some of the pressure off uh at 22 I went into something that was absolutely not my passion at all. I thought, I was like, oh, consulting, I'll learn about a lot of different industries. That's the garbage line that they feed you. Uh, I was a Microsoft Excel monkey, you know, like, yeah. and, I, and I hated it. But that, that really made clear. I was like, oh, here's all the things that I don't like about certain work environments. And it, and it helped me have some fire to move me towards something else. So uh, check out the videos that we had in, in terms of orienting yourself with a carrot. But don't be afraid to you know, go, you know, this might be a stick job. This might yeah, be the yeah. job that chases me out of here towards something that I'm really excited about. Um, so, yeah, the other videos are sorry to sorry to make this so uh, <laughs> referential. But that's what I would recommend is check out those how to find your passion video. Yeah, it's also I mean, this is maybe the worst time for this advice, but it's OK to quit a job, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll find out. It's OK to go this to a job. This might be terrible advice. Right no, I'm now. just saying I know a lot of people who are in their 30s and they're not on their first job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So this is, I just wanted to comment here because one of the things that this book, The Fourth Turning, made me realize is that, of course, people can only give advice based on their own life experiences. Mm -hmm. And my life experiences is of growing up as the quote unquote millennial that was well cared for as a child that had a strong emotional and safe enough financial base, meaning that if stuff went wrong, I could flop on mom and dad's couch and know that there would be food in my belly. Uh, and all of the decisions I made flowed from that experience, which was not universal, but fairly widely held in middle-class America mm -hmm. at around my time frame. Uh, I don't know what your generation will do. And I do know that generations almost always give shit advice to the next generation. <laughs> so uh, consider everything that I've said. Take it with a grain of salt. I'm going to be more hesitant now that I've read this book in terms of just recognizing like how particular everyone's situation is. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, what, what did we do? We followed a passion, flew abroad, and it was, just, it was great. It was wonderful. I not, hope it still works for a lot of people. advice in the 1930s? Yeah, I hope. Yeah, exactly. I hope that works for everybody going forward, though. I don't know. We'll see. Anything else? Yep. So for this person's question, they say, it seems to me that people want desire as in they want to want something. For example, I have a friend who has let go of the desire for prestige and now feels lost because they don't have anything driving them. Mm. I'm trying to let go of my desire for romantic relationships, but I sometimes feel lost in a bit of a void without that desire driving me. It seems to me that most people try and move up the ladder of healthy desires, quote unquote, similar to the addiction ladder that you have talked about, but the optimal solution is to simply become comfortable with no desires at all. However, this seems almost impossible in modern society without moving to the middle of the mountain. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think this is achievable or do you think it is more practical in modern, in modern society to just move up the desire ladder? Good question, man. That's, that's, that's a deep understanding of what we've talked about. Um, 
I don't know if you want to start. I was going to say, as someone who desires wealth, a good dating relationship, and <clears throat> and to be a master of my skills, perhaps I'm not the best person to answer <laughs> this question. So You're desireless, Charlie. What do you yeah, think? yeah, totally. So what do I... Interestingly, what I hear in that question is a desire for no desire, which is, of course, in itself a desire. And this is this is the paradox of all of this stuff. As you drive into it, it's, I want to be free and to be enlightened. Well, that it's your wanting to be enlightened that holds you back from enlightenment, weirdly enough. Um, so I do both still. Is that the best way? I don't know. But on the I try to, uh, what is it called, uh, transmute desires. And I try to take desires from something that is apparently more destructive or leads me down a more uh, a less happy path and I try to move it towards desires that I think will make me happier but the other thing that I, I really think that the answer as I get down to it is understanding and and I don't mean conceptual understanding I mean experiential understanding so like why do you Ben desire the things you desire and I don't mean write them out I mean feel them in their entirety mm -hmm. and in feeling something in feeling any feeling, it shifts and changes and flows. Uh, and in stepping away from the feeling, letting it sit, not looking at it, but just moving in a direction, it ossifies and becomes this solid thing that stays constant in your life. And in trying to shift that thing to something else, the like you said, the underlying desire just is still there. So uh, what I would, what I am going to do, and what you can do, is to ask to speak to that part of yourself that wants something to change mm -hmm. and like be that and look at it and go who are you the part of you that wants to change and then get into that part of yourself take the deep breath and go why what is your role like what is the goal of the change are is this is this something that you know it's and and by experiencing it i think you will my my experience has been that that tends to change and move um but i'm not desireless man when if i ever get there i'll i'll let you yeah, know yeah. so i was gonna so my non-facetious answer so this, this person if I, they want to get rid of their desire for a relationship right their desire for a dating relationship yeah if you want to learn about how to get in good shape how to be better mm -hmm. with your dating relationships i'm the guy that can help you with that uh i'm not this person mm -hmm. i appreciate that you follow us and i like that you've asked us but i would find someone who has gotten rid of their desire for a relationship and mm -hmm. i would ask them mm -hmm. so i would study monks i would I mean, if this is the most important thing in my life, personally, I'd fly to a monastery, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or I'd find a local monk, someone who has done it. And if I couldn't do that, I would find books by people who've done it. There's a lot of those. There's and a I, lot of those. That's what I would do. If this was, because I personally, I don't want to shed this yet, <clears throat> but that's what I'd say is go mm -hmm. find someone who's done it and crushed it and ask them. And I would ask us what we've actually done well. Yeah. And I think that's what we should give advice on. Mm -hmm. Cool. Nice. Um, the last one is that my girlfriend lives in a different country that is under strict lockdowns, but the neighboring country, Tanzania, has recently opened up for international travel. I want to go to the neighboring country and for her to come find me there. Now, because my home country has advised against all but necessary travel to all other countries, I will not be insured if anything should happen. This worries me a bit because the healthcare system is bad or expensive in the region I'm traveling to. I don't really fear COVID, but other regular things that are more common, like traffic accidents, bacteria, infections, etc. Mm -hmm. It feels kind of weak that I could not, for a limited period of time, one month, put myself under the same risks that she basically faces every day. I want to see her so badly. Is it a risk worth taking? I would feel almost arrogant slash snobbish as if I am better than her if I did not go. How would you make a decision about this? P.S. I live in Europe and she is in East Africa. Yeah. She cannot go to him. 
her government has banned travel? Yep, strict lockdowns. Got it. Um, what's what's funny is like is you're like I will lose insurance. It's like welcome to America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if I get anything, there's there's no there's no uh, European backbone. But so what I what I would recommend is um, to recognize that of course people on the planet have different thresholds for risk and uh, yours based on your background is you have a a uh, lower threshold before you feel uncomfortable than she has just lived in and that is a product of your experience you're different people you like each other because you're different uh doesn't necessarily mean that it's a weak or a bad thing how i would go about making this decision is to try to separate in in this case my emotional discomfort from the practical reality because it sounds like what you're expressing is that there's this feeling which may or may not match the likelihood. So my mom, for instance, you know, whenever I take a, a plane, is like, "Let me know when you land," but planes are safe, you know. Like, so that that's sort of what I might ask myself. You just is, look at the data. You go, "What actually happens?" In what it, this how country? what what is the likelihood that I something bad happens? Also, how is your girlfriend going to get to you in Tunisia? In Tanzania? Or Tanzania? I don't know. They're going to get to one another, whatever. Um, so yeah. So I I in those regards with 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 regards to health. Personally, and this this is not an advice. I am pretty flippant, and would probably give go. Doesn't mean you should. Cool, I wouldn't. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two yeah, votes. Yeah, in opposite directions. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. Uh, I'd be like, I'm gonna go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's totally up to you, and it doesn't make you a bad person. I would listen to my intuition about yeah. my own safety. And yeah, it does doesn't make you doesn't make you good or bad mm-hmm. either way. Uh, so sorry that we can't be of more help. It really comes down to to your values and. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, your risk tolerance, your intuition, what you value. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it. We're done. It's a pretty long one. Thanks, guys. Appreciate everybody on our patrons. Appreciate everyone who listened. This has been a, an interesting episode. If you want to contribute, we'll have Justin review some of the. Uh, also, let's go to some of the comments in the comment section yeah, today. Yeah, there was just a lot on Patreon. <laughs> so. Okay, got it. That's the problem with the fourteen-day gap. Yeah, is that? <laughs> I got a comment. You want to do one that's from a non-patron? Sure. I found it on our Charisma on Command channel because I sometimes check the comments when I make videos, which I, I shouldn't a, do. Sorry, guys. I found a giant piece of gum on my shoe. It's fucking gross. Sick. Edit that out. Uh, Don't edit it out. <laughs> this is my life now. Well, actually, there was two things I thought was interesting, but we'll talk about the other one next week. So this fan question was, I have some difficulty with my girlfriend not respecting my time and saying she will do something and not following through with her action, like you stated in your video. Do you have any suggestions we might be able to do to fix this problem, or should I just give up and find someone else? She is the first girl I have dated in my life. We've been dating for more than three years. So sorry, sorry, I was, what's the first piece that she's not doing? She's not following through? The girlfriend does not respect his time, so Hmm. she says she will do something and does not do it. Got it. So like her, so in the video, 90 Day Fiance, I said one of the warning signs of a toxic relationship is when someone's words don't match their actions. So if someone promises you the moon, but then doesn't deliver it, says, yeah. I'll take care of you if money gets tight and the money and gets tight. Yeah, it doesn't take And they're not there for you, right? I'd say that's that's something to watch out for. Sure. And so what, he, what this person is saying is that their girlfriend does not respect their time. And also she, she said she will do something and does not do it. Mm. So do you have any suggestions to fix this problem such mm. that she will follow through when she says something or would you suggest to give up and find someone else yeah i mean there's a couple there's a couple pieces one is to sit down and ask yourself is this a game deal breaker right so because that's gonna adjust 
what the no outcome is. Yep. Meaning like, if you get a yes, great, I can give you some advice to get a yes, but there's always the possibility that you get no change. Yep. And so step one is be like, is this actually a deal breaker? Uh, is this a nice to have or a need to have? That's that up that, to you. Yeah, that was my biggest piece of advice. It's up to you. And 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 you might realize that breaking up is not even on the table. <laughs> or you might realize that it, it, it is. Assuming this person wouldn't change, though. The first thing to do is go, okay, what if I cannot accurately yeah. get this person to follow through on their word? And our entire, the rest of our relationship is them not respecting my time. But being the not way that they through. are. Yeah. And they'll continue to do the things that you like, whatever that is. Do you want to stay in that relationship or not? Yeah. So whatever your answer is there, and then let's go, okay, so in order to influence them to change, I mean, let's start with the obvious. You could sit down and be like, hey, can I talk to you? One of the things when you're talking, I've mentioned this a million times, open them up, say this is a little bit weird to say, and that this just like, this helps people settle into this receptive mode as opposed to feeling jumped. And, you know, I've been thinking about it, and uh, one of the things, you know, and just give that space, is that when you do X, I feel why, right? Mm -hmm. An indisputable, you're not going to argue about the fact that she did this thing and what it makes you feel. Yep. On and, the and avoiding words like always and never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what your goal is, is to say something that cannot be refuted. Mm -hmm. Because then instead of getting an argument, you can address the behavior. Yes. Uh, from there, she will uh, probably not dispute this, might dispute your feeling, but quite frankly, neither are arguable. Because right. it's like, you I have done I, this and I do feel this way. Yes. And, and, you, you can discuss it. And what you're saying is, I would. could you, in place of that, do this very specific thing instead? And the answer is not respect my time. It was like, what does that mean? I respect your time. I'm just 30 minutes late. But I've been respecting it. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, not out of disrespect. I just got busy. Yeah. yeah. On the phone, so when you say 5 o'clock, can you be in the car no later than 5.05? You know, like, 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 check this box, yes or no. This is very understandable. You guys have the same thing. So we're not speaking about feelings here. We're speaking about concrete, verifiable behaviors. Mm -hmm. And to request that, and you will both know if this thing has been delivered upon in the future. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not, this conversation could be had again, and you can decide at that point if this is a deal breaker or not. And then if you decide it's a deal breaker, break the deal. <laughs> and, and, then, break up, yeah. and break up. And if you decide that it's not, uh, except that this person is as they is, is as they are. Is that even a sentence? I think you did. They are as they is. They is as they are. It doesn't matter. They are as they are. They are as they are. Who cares? Accept them <laughs> and, uh, and live your life accordingly, which is to say that there will be times, and this actually might change the behavior, where you accept that they are no longer going to be available at 5 o'clock, but at 5.30, and you have to be somewhere at 5, and you say, hey, uh, I'm going, but you're not invited. Because you don't show up on time, mm -hmm. and it doesn't need to be like, oh, you not, don't show. It's not. Yeah, it is not vindictive. It's not vindictive. It's, it's just not vindictive. It's just, it's just you've shown me that this is your pattern of behavior, and that doesn't fit into what needs to happen today. Yeah. Um, and then just live as if that's the person that they are, mm -hmm. uh, and accept that about them, and don't try to secretly change or cajole or any of that stuff. Just just make the adjustment that you need to make in order to not have it negatively impact your life or minimize the negative impact yeah. it has. I think that's great. I think you nailed it. And the only thing I would add is to, on your part, to not do anything vindictive or passive aggressive, right? So we've talked about you actually go and sit down with them. And then afterwards, you either have a behavior change or if not, you accept the behavior change. But what you don't do is pretend you're accepting the behavior change, but make contemptful snide remarks about the behavior you still don't like, right? Mm -hmm. You have to truly accept that they are this way or break up with them. That's the only thing I would add. Mm -hmm. Cool. Did it! Podcast over. Thank you, everybody. We love you. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you in two weeks.
Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.